This podcast has been brought to you with the support of Wise, the account that helps you manage your money all around the world. With a Wise account, you can send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. Whether you're traveling through Asia, freelancing in France, or buying that dream property in Oz, Wise is the easy way to connect all your finances internationally. You can even send money home to mum in minutes. Join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com. Kia and welcome to the front page, keeping you up to date on the biggest news of the day from the New Zealand Herald and Newstalk ZB. It's Wednesday the 27th of March, I'm Juliet Sivertson. In today's top news stories, a man has died in Christchurch after a standoff with police. One person is dead after being washed away in the West Coast floods. The Reserve Bank reveals a gloomy outlook as it keeps the official cash rate unchanged. And get your Instagram ready for the new homeware store set to open up in New Zealand. Leading news today, an investigation's underway to determine whether or not a man killed after a police standoff in Christchurch had any link to the March 15 mosque attacks. Police started looking for the 54-year-old after firearms were discovered at a St Martin's property late yesterday. The man was found in a parked vehicle in the Richmond Park area around 12.30 this morning. Officers negotiated with him for a number of hours, but when they approached the vehicle, they found he was critically injured with what appeared to be a stab wound. A knife was located in the vehicle. He died at the scene. The man's vehicle was then examined by the Defence Force Explosive Ordnance Squad as a precaution and was deemed safe. There were no firearms in the vehicle. Members of the public woke this morning to what they thought were the sounds of gunshots or explosions. Resident Geoffrey Chisholm said he heard two shots about 3.30 this morning and a helicopter flying low overhead. He says four members of the armed defenders squad on the street told him to stay inside. I got a phone call around about half past four in the morning and they told me to uh, stay inside the house. And I heard a shot about quarter to five. However, police say the sounds were not gunshots or explosions. It was police deploying gas at the scene. Police say a high-priority investigation is now underway to determine whether or not the dead man posed a threat to the community. This will include further searches of Christchurch properties and interviews with family and associates. There will be a continued police presence in the Richmond Park and St Martin's areas as scene examinations continue. The Independent Police Conduct Authority has been notified. Community welfare officers were checking with residents this morning. Meanwhile, another community seeking assurances about their safety, Dunedin's Muslim community. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has been meeting with leaders there today. Dunedin is the city where the man accused of the Christchurch terror attacks had been living. Ardern says as well as discussing the outpouring of love and support they've received... The community wanted to talk about how to ensure they continue to feel safe. Particularly women who so obviously wear their faith. Our job is to make sure that the community and New Zealand as a whole knows that safety is our number one priority. 
Jacinda Ardern visited the Adner Early Learning Centre and the Al Huda Mosque. I wanted to come to visit with them to hear and talk about their concerns and just have a chance for listening really. There was a discussion over what we could do to make sure that the community continues to feel safe. Since the attacks, our spy agencies are keeping an eye on more people. The minister responsible for the GCSB and SIS, Andrew Little, says he's authorised intrusive activity and signed more warrants. Little says the purpose of a warrant is to authorise and effectively make lawful what would otherwise be unlawful activity. He won't say whether they're centred on white supremacists, but he says the agencies are responsible for investigating terrorism and violent extremism. That is the category of kind of work that is leading to more people being uh, either considered persons of interest and put, being put under various or varying levels of investigation and surveillance. Little has the final say over which people the agencies spy on and signs off all warrants. He says 30 to 40 people are usually under surveillance or being considered for it, but there'll be more now. Little won't say how many warrants he's signed or their nature, but says they authorise a range of acts. From uh, physical surveillance to uh, getting into telecommunications, um, the whole gambit of what would otherwise be described as intrusive activity. As a result of the investigations into the Christchurch attacks, Little says new activity is leading to other individuals being identified. Interestingly, since the attacks, more people are actually considering moving to New Zealand. Rather than being put off, the attack appears to have had the opposite effect. Newstalk ZB's Andrew McMartin reports. Immigration New Zealand says registrations jumped by a third in the 10 days after the attack. There were 6,457 registrations, nearly 1,200 of which were from the United States. Britain and South Africa came in at second and third. New Zealand has been praised for its compassionate response to the attack and for quickly changing gun laws. Since the shootings, ACC has received 102 injury claims from victims of the attacks and counting. ACC's Phil Riley says 27 out of 35 claims for weekly compensation have been actioned. But mental injury claims are a different story. We've had 27 claims for mental injury, including 12 claims for people who did not suffer a physical injury. Nor did the mental injury occur through the nature of their work so are ineligible for cover under the current boundaries of the scheme. Riley says ACC is working with other agencies to offer those people support. Claims have already been prepared for the families of those who died in the attack. And organisers of Friday's National Remembrance Service for the victims of the shooting have secured Cat Stevens to join the star-studded lineup. The Remembrance Service, Kotato Tato Wea One, will be held in North Hagley Park starting at 10 o'clock in the morning, jointly led by the City of Christchurch, the Government of New Zealand, Naitahu and the Muslim community. It will be broadcast simultaneously at events in Auckland, Wellington and Dunedin, as well as regional towns. Yusuf, Kat Stevens, Marlon Williams, Macy Rika, Holly Smith and Teeks will be among the well-known artists to take to the stage. Stephen's name was legally changed to Yusuf Islam after he converted to Islam in 1977. In other news, tragedy on the West Coast as the region is hammered by an extreme weather front and record rainfalls. An elderly woman has died after being swept away by flooding. 
Police confirmed that a body was recovered near floodwaters in the Arahura Valley, north of Hokitika, this morning. Police say an initial scene investigation shows the woman got out of a vehicle she was driving and tried to cross floodwaters on foot, but was swept away. The front has caused significant flooding, closed major roads and schools, forced evacuations and demolished a bridge on the west coast. A state of emergency was put in place last night. Most weather stations along the west coast had recorded just under 200 millimetres of rain since the event started on late Sunday, with stations inland getting well above 200 millimetres. Niwa says the Crop River waterfall, which is inland from Hokitika, saw 1,086 millimetres of rain in just 48 hours, the highest ever recorded 48-hour total in New Zealand. Yesterday evening, the Waiho Bridge was taken out by the rising and rough floodwaters. There were 450 tourists kept in Franz Josef overnight. Westland's Mayor Bruce Smith says NZTA is already working on a replacement bridge for the Waiho. We expect that to be replaced within 14 days. Some are saying 10. I'll be, I'll be delighted if it's 10. And Bruce Smith has some advice for residents. When you get a big event like this one, there's some unusual things happen. Like sometimes you can get a creek that'll divert through the back of your property and, and or it'll divert on the road. So check your own property, check your neighbours. Ten cottages and camper van park owner Logan Skinner says he hopes the bridge will be repaired sooner than the estimated 10 days. We're getting a lot of cancellations. People are a wee bit nervous of uh, how long this will go. Um, so we're getting cancellations well into April, into late April already. Scenic Hotel Franz Joseph front office manager Jason Mulligan says they've also had lots of cancellations. Fortunately, he says there's no damage to the hotel itself. Just obviously a lot of rain. There's water flowing where there wasn't water flowing a couple of days back. But other than that, no, we're all good. The collapse of the Waiho Bridge has prompted calls for a better long-term solution to prevent damage to infrastructure in heavy rain. West Coast Tasman MP Damien O'Connor says it's happened before, so engineers and NZTA are used to the situation. But he says a long-term solution is well overdue. It's essential that the road is kept open um, for people to travel through South Western for tourism, both on the West Coast and down into Queenstown. Meanwhile, aerial photos taken for the Department of Conservation reveal the staggering impact of the floodwaters, washing away the bridge and gouging giant chunks out of the roads. And you can see these photos and more at nzherald.co.nz and of course tune into Newstalk ZB for all the latest on the flooding. Heartbreak for the Royal New Zealand Navy. A sailor has died following an incident during a dive training exercise on Monday night at the Devonport Naval Base. New Zealand Defence Force confirmed today Zachary Christopher Yarwood, aged 23, died in North Shore Hospital yesterday. A Defence Force spokesman says the sailor was taking part in advanced diver training in about six to eight metres of water when the incident happened. Colleagues gave the man immediate first aid at the scene and called emergency services. Yarwood joined the Royal New Zealand Navy in 2013 and served in HMNZS Takaha and Philomel. Chief of Navy Rear Admiral David Proctor says the Navy is mourning a young sailor who had already packed so much into his career and embodied the core values of courage, commitment and comradeship in everything that he did. 
He says his condolences are with Yawood's fiancé, his parents and two beloved brothers, as they, along with his Navy family, come to terms with his passing. Yawood's family are being supported by a family liaison officer, his shipmates and the Royal New Zealand Navy. Police, WorkSafe New Zealand and the coroner are all investigating the incident. The NZDF will be conducting a court of inquiry. In a New Zealand first, the Department of Internal Affairs has charged a venue manager for allegedly failing to take responsible steps to identify a problem gambler. The charge comes with a maximum penalty of $5,000 and a criminal conviction. The DIA wouldn't give any further details of the case, as it's now before the courts, and won't identify the name of the venue. But a spokesperson did confirm the defendant was a person connected to a pokey machine venue, not a casino. Shutting down speculation, the manager works for Sky City. It's the first time a person in New Zealand has been charged for failing to identify a problem gambler. Director of Gambling Chris Thornbar says venues have a legal responsibility to look after gamblers as they do drinkers. He says the department won't let them ignore the signs. And there's no excuse for failing to identify problem gamblers. Thornborough says gambling operators and staff involved in gambling all have the policies, procedures and training they need to identify and manage problem gamblers. And there's support for the DIA taking decisive action. Problem Gambling Foundation spokesperson Andre Frude says the charge shows gambling staff there are consequences for not following the law. It will certainly set a benchmark and it will send a very strong and clear message to all of them that this might be the first time that the DIA has actually prosecuted, but that's not to say they won't do it again. The 2003 Gambling Act requires employees of gambling venues to take reasonable steps to ensure effort is being made to identify actual or potential problem gamblers. DIA says it regularly carries out audits and mystery shoppers to test whether venues' harm practices are working. On the business front, a somewhat gloomy outlook for our economy. The Reserve Bank has kept its official cash rate on hold at 1.75%, but said the next move is likely to be down. At the last OCR review in February, the bank said the next move could be up or down. But today, the bank said given the weaker global economic outlook and reduced momentum in domestic spending, the more likely direction of our next OCR move is down. It says employment was near its maximum sustainable level. In its statement, the bank said the global economic outlook had continued to weaken, in particular amongst some of our key trading partners, including Australia, Europe and China. Jamie Gray from the Herald Business Desk says around the world, central banks have been raising concerns about slower economic growth. So what does it mean for those of us with mortgages? From today's announcement that uh, interest rates are going to remain very low for a long, long time and possibly even fall further. Uh, so I guess that's good, good news for uh, borrowers, but not so good if you've got um, savings in the bank. The New Zealand dollar fell by about one US cent to 68.16 cents from just over 69 US cents before the 2pm announcement. Senior economist at Kiwi Bank Jeremy Couchman described the market reaction as savage. And ASB's chief economist Nick Tuffley says upcoming business confidence surveys will be very important between now and May's monetary policy statement from the Reserve Bank. Some exciting new developments towards a zero-carbon future. 
Mercury says it will build a 33-turbine wind farm at Turatia near Palmerston North at a cost of $256 million. It's the first big power station announcement for five years and will be the country's third largest wind farm. It will add to Mercury's Waikato hydro and geothermal power plants and a trial solar scheme in Auckland. That means the company's now involved in all four areas of renewable energy. Chief Executive Fraser Winneray says wind was the next logical expansion. This brings us to the first company in New Zealand to achieve the awesome foursome of renewables. So we're now in hydro, geothermal, uh, wind and solar. Construction will begin in August. The company had been working towards wind farm development for 15 years. The $256 million project was part of a potential investment of just over $1 billion in wind energy. Fraser Winneray says the new wind farm alone will equate to about 2% of New Zealand's energy consumption. For energy, it's probably the equivalent of uh, 210,000 cars driving for a year. And that, in in household terms, is probably about 60,000 houses. The plant will contribute $30 million a year to earnings. Mercury has contracted Vestas New Zealand Wind Technology, a local subsidiary of Vestas Wind Systems AS, which is the world's largest wind turbine supplier, to build and maintain the Turatia wind farm for 25 years. Mercury has consent to build 60 turbines, and transmission and other infrastructure from this project has scaled to support the development of the remaining 27 turbines at Turatia and on the Pukatoi range to the east. Mercury has consents for a 53-turbine wind farm there. And of course, the development of the wind farm would provide jobs in the area. Mercury already generates around 16% of New Zealand's total electricity generation. Officials have confirmed that about 90% of deer on a block on New Zealand's largest farm were killed during a 1080 poison drop targeting possums. The drop was carried out by TB Free New Zealand in October 2017 over a 62,000 hectare block on Department of Conservation-owned Molesworth Station. It's part of a nine-year programme to eradicate bovine tuberculosis. Eight helicopters using GPS dropped toxic bait at two kilograms a hectare over the station, but the operation was halted when scores of red deer were found to have been killed. Osprey, the government-backed company that DOC permits to run pest control operations on public conservation land, later commissioned an aerial survey in February last year to compare deer abundance on a similar-sized block nearby that wasn't poisoned. And that revealed deer abundance was 88% lower in the poisoned area. Another survey carried out by Manaki Fenua Landcare Research last month found there had only been a slight increase in deer numbers and that it could take six to eight years before the population fully recovered. Today, Osprey Chief Operating Officer Matthew Hall maintained the use of 1080 for large-scale pest control operations was still currently the most effective tool to eradicate TB. He says their work has biodiversity benefits by reducing possum, rat and stoat numbers. But he says they're working with industry partners to develop improved deer repellent baits. And if you love Australian furniture and designer chain Coco Republic, there's good news. It's set to open its first New Zealand store this year. It'll open in the revamped and expanded $790 million Westfield Newmarket in Auckland. Coco Republic sells furniture, homewares and design services. 
New Zealanders have been able to buy items from the chain online in the last few years. Westfield Newmarket will have 230 specialty retailers when it opens in the fourth quarter of this year, sometime between September 1st and December 31st. That's all today for The Front Page for Wednesday the 27th of March. For more on today's top stories, check out the New Zealand Herald or tune in to Newstalk ZB. And you can subscribe on your favourite podcast player, including Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio and Stitcher, to stay up to date with the top news of the day from Aotearoa New Zealand each weekday, ready for your commute home. Until next time, have a lovely evening.